Um, so our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for, for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that, he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Amen. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Caleb Cable. I'm the pastoral assistant here at Reconcile. Um, I have been married to my wife, Alina, for three and a half years. Um, and we have a two-year-old son, named Liam, and he is running everywhere all the time. Um, and so um, I, as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I, was, I was trying to just get, grasp, like get my head around, what is, what is Paul who wrote this, what is he saying? What is he trying to, um, what's he trying to show us? And, and I, I realized that this passage is kind of like a, a view of the world from space. So it's, it's, like, it's like zooming out in the macro lens to see what is the, the ultimate story from beginning to end. What is happening here? I feel like a lot of times when we are right in the midst of, um, of life, it's hard to see clearly. So like, let's, let's go back in time. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, a lot of people thought the world was flat. And the reason they thought that, it, it, it makes sense to me because I, it seems to me that the world is flat when we're just standing on it, looking around, because it's so big, you don't see the curvature of the earth. But then as you get up in an airplane, 39,000 feet in the air and you're flying, you can kind of start to see a glimpse of the curvature of the earth. And then when you I've never been an astronaut, but I'm sure if you are an astronaut and you're flying up in a rocket into the air and you start looking, it, it begins to form. And then you realize when you get up to space, oh, it's a, it's a whatever that shape is, this, a circle. 
And so we can see clearer when we back up and take, take it all rather than being right up in the face of it. And this is what Paul is doing for us in this passage. And so I hope that I can explain it clearly, um, and I hope that we will be encouraged by it. So let's pray. Lord, I pray um, that you would give me uh, the words to speak. I pray that you would give me clarity. I pray that your spirit would come in power, that you would fill me with the spirit so that I can speak your words. I pray that my pride and my ego would get out of the way, that I would um, not be concerned about what people think of me, but that I would be concerned about speaking your words this morning. And I pray that you would be glorified and your people would be encouraged. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the verses that, that, were, that were happening right before these verses today, um, Paul was talking about our union with Jesus. In verse 17, he was saying that, that if Jesus is an heir, then we are also an heir with him. And union with Jesus is this idea that as Christians, we are in Christ. Imagine like an airplane flying from one airport to another. If you're underneath the airplane, nothing's going to happen. The airplane's going to go. If you're behind the airplane following it, well, it's going to get there way before you do. It's this idea of if we are in Christ, we, it's like we're in an airplane. Wherever Christ goes, we will go with him. That's what it is to be united with Christ. And so it's talking about Jesus has this inheritance set before him. And because we are in Christ, we will also receive this inheritance with him because we're in Christ. But it doesn't just say that. It says that not only will we receive this inheritance as heirs, but we will also share in his sufferings because Jesus did suffer while he was on the earth. That was a, a reality for him. And if we are in Christ and we receive all the things that Christ received, we will also receive suffering. And so the question that Paul is trying to answer is, what do we do with that? How do we, how do we understand suffering? How do we, how do we endure suffering? And how, how will suffering ultimately help us get to the destination that we want to get to? So we're going to start in verse 18. He explains that our union with Jesus leads to suffering. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. I, I want to read that again because that is good news this morning. Because we all, we suffer, right? We, we know what suffering is. We know what pain is. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So we have union with Jesus, and this union is going to lead to suffering inevitably. But how do we embrace the suffering in such a way that, that, that we can endure it and come out of the other side better for it? With Jesus, it says that Jesus in Hebrews 12, that for the joy that lay before him, 
he endured the cross. So Jesus knew that there was going to be suffering when he was in the Garden of Eden. He was praying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but let yours be done. How could he do that? It says in Hebrews that there was a joy that was set before him. He saw the prize in the distance. He was like, this is the destination that I'm going to get to, and I have to walk through this in order to get there. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is how we as Christians can endure the hardships of this life and the pains and the trials and the temptations and everything else that is coming our way. We can endure all of that if we set our eyes on the prize, if we understand the destination that we are going to get to. Like, think of an Olympic runner. Olympic runners don't just run for no reason. They're not Forrest Gump. Olympic runners are running to receive the medal. They're they're competing because they want to get either, either the bronze, the silver, the gold. There is a prize. There is a goal that they are trying to get to. And if we as Christians are going to endure the hardship of running this life, We need to understand what the goal is that we are trying to get to. What is the prize that we will receive in the end if we endure? And if we know what this reward is, then we will have strength to endure. We will have strength to run as hard and as fast as we can if we understand what the prize is. And Paul says in 18 that this this prize that is coming, this glory, this inheritance that we have is not even worth comparing to the sufferings that we go through today. The hardship, the sweat coming down our brow, it is not worth comparing. We will not even remember it. It will be gone. And he says that creation, creation itself, the whole universe actually anticipates this coming glory. Look at verse 19 through 22 says the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So we see that in the beginning, when Adam, Adam's original sin set all of creation into a world of decay, that the world is just decaying around it, is subjected to futility, as, as Paul writes here. If, if you look up in the sky at night, there's the stars, but even the stars are burning out. It, I, I looked it up just because I was curious. There's about 100,000 stars that burn up just in the Milky Way every day. That's insane. When you look at the tallest mountains, have you ever heard of an avalanche? Avalanche is when a mountain is beginning to erode and crumbling. That's this picture that we see in creation that everything is is just decaying, is falling apart, is is becoming more and more broken. And it says that creation is in bondage to this decay. 
that it's stuck, it can't get out. Imagine that you are, so on your, on your uh, kitchen counter, there might be like a bowl of fruit or something. So imagine a, a, a bowl of apples. And then someone takes a completely rotted apple and puts it right in the middle of the apples. Now the apples, they, they can't move. They don't have the power to get out of there. They're stuck in this bowl. And this rotting apple is slowly going to decay all of these other apples around it. This is the picture that we see in creation that it is slowly decaying, is falling, becoming more and more broken. And the reason that he says this is happening, the reason is to show us that something is wrong. To show us, creation is always telling us something about God. And so the reason creation is decaying is to tell us, hey, there is something wrong and something needs to be made right. And it says that creation longs for the day when it will be made new. Creation is longing for the day when this decay will be completely stopped, when it will be set free from this bondage to decay. It's waiting with anticipation. And I love the picture that it gives here. It's like labor pains. The creation is waiting in, in, in labor pains. It's, it's painful. It's, it's not pleasant. I don't know if this is true or not because I've never had a child. But I've heard that after you have a child, you don't remember the pain. I don't know if that's true or not. Probably not. Um, but, but if that were true, then this picture here is like there's this labor pains, but there will be a great joy to follow. That we have, the creation has this joy set before it. That although it is painful right now, it is not the final moment that is leading up to something. And this is the day that we have to look forward to as Christians. So not only does creation anticipate this coming glory, but it says in verse 23 through 25 that Christians, we also anticipate this coming glory. It says not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what they see? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We can have patience because we know that this is not the end of the story, that we have this joy set before us. We have this inheritance to look forward to. We have this prize at the end of the race. It says we are waiting eagerly for our adoption. Now hold up a second. Just before, in the passage before, he said that we receive the spirit of adoption through whom we cry, Abba, Father. So how is it that we're adopted, but we're waiting for adoption? What's, what's going on here? What, there's, theologians call this the already, not yet. So let me explain that. When Jesus came, his kingdom came to the earth. His kingdom was started. 
But one day when Jesus comes again, his kingdom will fully be here on the earth. And we live in this tension, or you could call it frustration, of his kingdom is already here, but it's not all the way here yet. So we have been adopted as sons of God and daughters of God, but we haven't fully realized our adoption yet. It's not fully here, and we wait for it. So, so this is crazy. Think about it. Every good thing that you experience in your relationship with God right now is not fully here yet. The most, the most amazing worship experience you've ever had where, where you were just awestruck with God's glory and his power, that is just the beginning of what is to come. One day his kingdom will fully be here and we will fully realize our adoption. That's why he says we eagerly wait for our adoption. Not, not only that, but we wait for the redemption of our bodies. I, I'm only 23, so I'm, I'm not very, I'm not getting there in my age. Um, my body still works pretty well, but I'm sure there will be a day 20, 30 years from now when my body will start to decay. <laughs> I'm hearing some amens. <laughs> we have this hope set before us that although our bodies are decaying right now, one day our, we will receive new bodies that we will not be subjected to this decay. We will not be stuck in bondage to this decay like all of, all of the rest of creation. We will be set free and we have this hope to look forward to. Imagine no more death, no more pain, no more tears, no more separation. All of these things will be gone. And this is the hope. This is the inheritance we have to look forward to. That we will fully be separated from the sinful nature that we have inside of us. That we will no longer have these desires for selfish ambition. This is the hope that we have to look forward to as Christians. And this is an inheritance that is worth running for. It's an inheritance that is worth serving our creator for. But the passage gets even better. Because it's not all up to us. We have this amazing inheritance in front of us. And so we think, oh, we just got to run real hard and we're going to get there. How would that work out? Let's be honest. It's like the story of the, the tortoise and the hare. Like I would be the hare. I would just be taking a nap after I ran for like five minutes. I, I don't like running. Um, so it gets even better. Verse 26, it says the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
the good news is that we are not left to ourselves to run this race, to reach the prize, the inheritance. The spirit was sent as a deposit. So like you're going to buy a car, right? And, but you're not able to do it that exact day. So you send the person like a $200 deposit or something. You say, hey, hold the car. Here's the first part of the money. And I'll give you the rest of the money when I get there. That's the deposit. So the spirit was sent as a deposit to ensure this future coming glory that we have. This future inheritance that we have. That we have the fullness of God, the fullness of his power and his glory living in us as his temple. And he deposits fruit. So we have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, other things. We have this fruit from the spirit that, that he is producing in us. Like, does a tree work to produce this fruit? No, it just, it sits there and the water, the rain comes down and the fruit comes from the tree. This is how it is with us that we have the spirit of God living inside of us, producing this fruit in us so that we can effectively run the race. Not only does he deposit fruit, but he deposits power into us. He gifts us and equips us so that we can fully run the race the way we're supposed to. But not only those, the Spirit is praying for us right now. The Spirit is interceding on our behalf. The Spirit is praying for us things that words cannot even explain. It's like there's no vocabulary for the things that the Spirit is praying for us. It says, it says that he searches our hearts and he prays for what we don't even know we need prayer about. There are things right now probably that are bothering our souls that we don't even understand. Like, some days I'm just in a bad mood. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm just in a bad mood. The Spirit, like, I can't explain it. I don't know why. The Spirit is praying for those things. Like, things that we can't even put our finger on and be like, this is the issue. This is what's wrong. Can you fix it? We don't, not even that. The Spirit is already praying on our behalf. He's interceding for us in our weakness. So our, although we are weak, although we do not have the energy, we don't have the power within ourselves to run the race we are supposed to run, to get to the end, to receive this inheritance, God says, not only will I give you an inheritance for free, but I will help you along the way get to the end so that you can receive this inheritance from me. This is how gracious our God is. And then in the end, he, it's kind of like a bookend. He, he started, and then he's going to kind of circle around to the beginning and, and the end of this passage, verse 28. He says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. 
For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So he's circling back to this idea of like the present day sufferings that you go through, the hard things that are in your life right now, they will not compare to the glory that is coming. That we have this future inheritance of joy. And faith is the fuel for the journey. Is believing in the midst of whatever circumstances are happening, whether that be death, depression, anxiety, sickness, whatever is happening, temptations that could pull you away from your race and say, I, I don't, I, I can't go on. I need to just stop for a minute. Whatever those things are, it's believing that these things are here to ultimately take me to the end goal, which is to be, glor to be glorified. That's the end goal, to receive the inheritance, to receive an immortal body. This is the end prize that we have to look forward to. And all of the hardships that we are going through right now are actually taking us to that place. He says that all things work together. All things. Not some things, not just the good things, not the mediocre things, all things, good, bad, ugly. They are all working together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is this, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we would be called, justified, and glorified one day. All of the hardships of our lives, all of the joys of our life, these things are working together, creating this amazing tapestry of us being glorified of us receiving this inheritance. So even when we don't understand why something is happening, we can have faith because we know where it's leading us to. We know the destination. Does anyone like the Marvel movies? Probably just me. Um, well, so I'm just have to explain a lot then. Um, basically, there's this movie... Uh, about superheroes, and they all work together. Well, in the end of this one superhero movie, all the superheroes are working together, and they lose. The bad guy wins. Almost all of them die. This is what happens in the end of the movie. And I remember watching that movie, and when it happened, I was like, what? That's the end? How? But there's another movie. But I had to wait like a year to watch the other movie. So anyways, the other, in the other movie, they learn how to time travel and they come back and they end up defeating this villain. The second time I watched that movie, I was not as distraught about the ending. 
Because I knew what happens after that. I knew that in the end, the villain is destroyed and they're all back together happy again. This is how it is with our sufferings that we have the entire story. We know where this is leading. We know where we are ending up. And I'm not trying to take away from the pain that is happening right now because it is very real. We have hope because we know what the end is. We know the last chapter. We've read it. It says Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, we will also rise from the dead. Just as Jesus is seated in the heavenlies, we will be seated with him. That's that's Ephesians 1. Our union with Christ will lead us to glory with him. Can you... This sounds prideful to say, but it's what the scripture says. And it's crazy that the creator of all things would say, I want you to share in this reward that I have received because of my obedience. The one who created all things would take me, this sinful, selfish man, with him. That I will one day rise with him just as he rose. That I will one day receive an immortal body like he has because of his obedience. That it wasn't anything that I did, but he, he, we are so united that whatever he receives, because he is called beloved, I am called beloved. Because he is a son, I am a son. Or a daughter. Because I, I mean, because he um, was obedient, I received that obedience. And because he paid the penalty for my sin, I do not have to. It's been already paid for. This is good news, and it gives us great joy this morning. And so how can we obey this? Well, I think having an eternal perspective offers us strength for right now. And I'm not, I I promise, I'm really not trying to, to, to detract from the pain that you may or may not be going through right now. Your suffering is real, and I'm not saying pretend like it's not. But this passage says, the first verse, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed. We have this glorious inheritance that will be revealed to us that we won't even, the, the, the sufferings of this day, the pain, it'll be like a shot glass compared to the ocean. It's not worth comparing. Don't even try to compare it. It's so much better, the, the inheritance that we have. The second thing that we can do is that we can remember that our sharing in the sufferings, 
we can remember, remember that if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we will also share in his, in his inheritance, in his reward that he receives. That when we are going through sufferings, we can remember, I'm receiving this suffering because I'm united with Christ. But where does this lead? Because I'm united with Christ, I will also share in his inheritance. We can remember that in the midst of pain. Another thing that I think this passage would call, would call us to do is to not grumble. There's a lot uh, of passages in the New Testament talking, do not grumble, don't complain, don't argue with one another. And it's so easy when life is beating you down to, to grumble, to complain, to, to be upset and, and, and just take it out on people around you. But I think in this passage, we see that we have this hope set before us. So we don't have to grumble. We don't have to complain because we know that it is leading us to where we want to go. And then lastly, when we are going through pain, we can remind each other of the inheritance that we have. That we have this inheritance set before us. Let me just read verse 18 again. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That one day we will be with him. We will have new bodies. We will be taken away from, uh, we, we will have this flesh, the fleshly desires taken away from us. No more temptations, no more sickness. This is the reward that we have to look forward to. So let's pray. Lord, you are worthy of all honor. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of an inheritance, of a reward. And you chose to step down from heaven to live in this, this fleshly body. You chose to be around sinners. You chose to take the penalty for our sin on the cross. Thank you for that. Thank you that you have promised us this great inheritance that we have to look forward to when we will live with you forever. Lord, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.